Amen, amen, amen. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. Praise God. Wonderful. Thank you, Maleta. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I felt, uh, I felt the Holy Ghost right there during that one. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, church. Uh, we're going to take some time to get into the Word this morning. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 2. And uh, if you haven't been around uh, this whole month of May, we've been speaking on the topic of vision. Uh, it was a theme for the month, so every sermon was you know, under that heading of, of vision. Uh, sermon titles included, um, What Do You See? Through Eyes of Faith. Last week was Seeing Grace. And today uh, the title of this sermon is, Can You See the Wind? Can You See the Wind? It's Pentecost Sunday. I want to talk to you about Pentecost from a historical perspective, uh, from a biblical perspective, and also from a practical perspective as to what that means for us today in the culture that we live in. So Acts 2, I'm going to read some selected verses. They're on the screen up there. So Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Over to verse 16, Peter exclaimed to them, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on your men servants and on your maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Over to verse 37. When they heard these things... They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. In that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this historical account of what happened. And thank you for the relevance of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, I pray that you help me to preach this message exactly the way you want it to be proclaimed today. Let it fall upon ears that want to hear and apply it to our lives. We pray that in the process, Lord, that you will be glorified, you'll be pleased, and your people will be edified. And we'll all feel a little, little closer to you and a little closer to one another as a result. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. So Pentecost is the, the, the time that we celebrate and remember the birth of the church through the Holy Spirit and the infusion of the Holy Spirit into the church. It's a time to remember, I think the video said, at the anniversary of when the church was filled with the very presence of God. In fact, a church would never survive without it. How could it? it would just be an organization. 
We, we, we are a, a people of God with the Spirit of God working within us. So Pentecost, as you know, was celebrated 50 days after another Jewish holiday, which was called Passover. Uh, on that Passover, when this was written, Jesus was died. Uh, Jesus was crucified and died and rose again on the third day. And 50 days later was when Pentecost happened. But if you look in your Bible at Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, it says that for 40 days after Passover, Jesus was appearing to people. For a period of 40 days, he was showing himself, teaching about the kingdom of God. It says in uh, Acts 1, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, in that little area, uh, that Jesus told his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father, which I already spoke to you about. Now, if you know your, your Bible, in John 14 and John 16, Jesus taught about when he went away, he would send the Holy Spirit to be a comforter, to be a teacher, to be a helper for them. He said, I already told you about this, but you know, go into all the world, but don't go just yet. Wait for the promise of the Father. And he reminded them, he said, you know, remember John spoke about baptizing in water. And John also said that one is coming after me uh, whose sandal I'm not fit to untie, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Jesus says in these first couple of verses of Acts 1, I'm coming, I will come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so their response, I just get a little kick out of this in verse number 6 is, are you going to restore Israel now? Wrong question. <laughs> and Jesus said, you know what? It's not for you to know what I'm going to do that. What you need to know is found in verse number 8. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses. So whether we know what's exactly what's going on or not is not the point. The point is, whatever's going on, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to navigate those difficult waters. They certainly did as well. So as the story progresses, Jesus then ascends into glory back to his Father. Verse, uh, verse 11, uh, 10 and 11 and so on. And uh, the angels are saying to the apostles, why, why are you gazing up into heaven like that? Don't you know the same Jesus that's going up like that is going to come back again one day? So they took it upon themselves to go back to Jerusalem to the upper room, and there they waited for this promise of the Father to come. We see in verse number 15 that there were about 120 people gathered together waiting for this to happen. So um, when, when, the, when the verses we just read in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit did come, uh, they, they received the power to proclaim the things of God. And that day, verse 41, uh, 3,000 souls were added to the church. What a glorious time it was. Now, there's some question. Let me just, in, in Acts 1.15, it says there were 120. Now, there is some, some question as to whether all those 120 were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't really say. It says in Acts 2.4, they all spoke in other tongues. Whoever they all referred to, I think it was the 120. Some people think it refers to the 70. Jesus had 70 disciples that went out at one time. Some people think it was only the twelve. I think it was of the 120. It's unclear, but I think it was 120. One reason why I think that is because they baptized 3,000 people that day. And for 12 people to baptize 3,000 people would be a difficult, difficult task. But if there's 120 or so, I think it can, comes out to be like 240 or 250 people they would baptize during the course of a day. That was, that's probably doable if they all were filled and did that work. So anyway, the, the, the church was birthed, and, and, and the church began to do some tremendous things to this day. Uh, 
So I want to give you a historical background really quickly about this. But Pentecost has its roots in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 23, we read that the Feast of Pentecost, which was, Penta means 50, so 50 days from Passover, there was a celebration of the grain harvest. It was the the spring grain harvest. It was also called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Shavuot. And they celebrated the ingathering of the grain that they would then, you know, burn to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And they also celebrated the giving of the law to Moses during this time. So when Acts chapter 2 comes and we're, we're trying to piece all, all the, put all the pieces together of, of the history, um, so there was Passover, there was 50 days, and there was Pentecost. But this is now when, when the Holy Spirit fell, there began a, a new reason to celebrate. They were no longer celebrating the grain harvest. They were celebrating the harvest of souls, 3,000 that day. So whenever you think of Pentecost, Acts 1.8, you have to think about empowerment to be a witness for the Lord to win people to Christ because it's a harvest celebration. And as the original Pentecost back in the Old Testament, as they celebrated the grain harvest, they also celebrated the fact that Moses was given the law. And they tied that into the celebration. Well, on that day of Pentecost, if you think about it, Peter is now proclaiming the word of God, not the law of Moses. He's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and and getting a rich harvest of souls. So we celebrate the harvest and we celebrate the fact that we can we can proclaim and teach the word of God with a special anointing by the Holy Spirit. So so Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter's preaching and all those people get saved, we can see that the law is totally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit. The law is now done. We're not proclaiming the law of Moses. We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now Pentecost is a celebration of harvest. So whenever you think of Pentecost, whenever you think of a Pentecostal church, you must think about what that really means. What that means is we're filled with the Holy Spirit to bring in a harvest of souls. And you know what? Every one of us in this room, if we've accepted Jesus, we're a part of that thing already. We're, we're, we're being celebrated by somebody because someone harvested us into the kingdom of God. So we're all part of this thing. So, but when I think about it, and it was alluded to in the video, uh, the Holy Spirit has always been at work has always been at work. So I want to go through the Old Testament, just a couple of scriptures. Some were mentioned in the, in the video. But in uh, Genesis 1.1 and 1.2, we see that in the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says that the, uh, the earth was void without shape. There was darkness. But the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. So from the very beginning of time, the Holy Spirit was there creating, getting ready, preparing the way of the Father and getting all things ready for what God wanted to do. We see as the story continues in Exodus 31.3, the story of a a man named Bezalel. Does anyone know Bezalel? I can't say that I really knew Bezalel, but I know him now. At that time, uh, the people of Israel were getting ready to build the tabernacle. They had instructions from God how to build the tabernacle. But it says Bezalel was anointed by the Spirit of God to be an excellent craftsman. Isn't that awesome? 
He was a builder. He worked with gold and silver and bronze. He made things, but he needed the wisdom and the, 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 the knowledge of how to put things together in such a way that God would be honored and glorified. But God put his spirit upon him for that task. I think that's pretty cool. Well, keep that in mind next time you have a challenge and you have to be creative. We serve a creative God. Pray, Lord, anoint me with your spirit that I could do this task. We see in Numbers chapter 11, verse 25, that the same spirit that was upon Moses was given to the 70 elders at that time. And, and the spirit of the Lord was given to those 70 elders for the purpose of prophecy. But it says in that one verse, they only had that gift for one day. So here you have a little taste of the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament. Today, we heard the gift of tongues and interpretation. But see, back then, it was very rare for that to happen. But this one time, those 70 people were anointed to prophesy for one day. In, uh, in Judges chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we see a, a little story of Caleb's brother. Everyone knows Caleb, one of the spies. But his brother's name was Athenel, and he was, he was called upon by God, rebellion and then repentance of Israel, but God raised him up and anointed, it says, anointed him with the Spirit of God to be a leader, a judge, and a fighter for Israel. So you have these, these isolated episodes where someone's filled with the Spirit of God or anointed by the Spirit of God. We should all know the story of King David when he was first anointed with oil by Samuel, 1 Samuel 16. Samuel was looking for the next king. He comes to Jesse's home. No, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. There must be one more. He finds David. And he says, yes, that's the one. He anoints David with oil. And it says that David was not only anointed with oil, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit came upon him all the days of his life. And so he was anointed even way before he was the king. He was still a a boy at this time. So, but all along, all along those times, those years... There's always like in the back of everyone's mind and, and through the prophecies a promise that one day there won't just be a select few that get anointed by the Holy Spirit. One day there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it won't just be a few people that are used by God in that way, but anyone who believes and trusts God can receive that anointing to be a witness for the Lord. That's why when Peter began speaking in Acts 2, verse number 16, the first thing he says is, that which you see in here, what you see going on, that's what Joel the prophet was talking about. That in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, not just one or two or three. But now in these last days, my sons and daughters will prophesy and old men dream dreams and so forth, have visions. But God's doing something not just for a select few, but for anyone who wants it. Acts 2.39 says that this promise is for you, is for your children, is for those that are afar off. And we are, what you would say, far off down the timeline. You know, we're down the timeline 2,000 years. But that promise is still available for all of us. So, the church is birthed, Pentecost Sunday, you know, celebrates that, and the harvest is on. I want to just talk about the title for a minute. Can you see the wind? Can you? Can you? Can you see? Can you? You who are born again, you who are you know, called out of darkness to walk in the light, you that had an encounter with Christ, this is for you. 
Can you see the wind? Because if, if we can't see the wind, nobody's going to see the wind. It's got to happen in the church, first of all. Can you see the wind? Or are, are, we, are, are we too busy? Are we too preoccupied? Are we, you know, we, we, we don't see it. It's easy not to see. But we need to be discerning to see. But can you, can you, and can you see? Can you discern? Can you feel? Can you sense? Can you kind of, you know, get a feeling for what's going on here? Can you, because if we can't, who can? You see, and can you, can you see the wind? The wind is the Holy Spirit, obviously. In John 3, uh, Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear, you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from. And so it is with everyone who's born again. So the Holy Spirit comes and we're born again by the Holy Spirit. But how can you, how can you see the Holy Spirit? You don't see the Holy Spirit in that way. It's like seeing grace. You don't see it, but you see the results of it. But can, can you, can you see, can you see the wind of the Spirit? Acts 2.2, 2, when the Holy Spirit came, it, it came like there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind that came upon them. And so then, so, so the early church is birthed with power and anointing. Oh, we could talk about so many different things. Peter, you know, who denied the Lord just 50 days before. I don't know him three times. I don't know him. Now he's preaching. He's quoting Joel the prophet in front of all these people with a power and anointing. What happened to him? He was filled with the Spirit of God. And so the tone was set as to what, what this new church was going to be like. It was going to be empowered. It was going to go beyond any one person's natural capabilities. It was a supernatural church. Right? Supernatural church. But think with me for a minute here. And every, every example I'm giving you here... Uh, the evident, the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God is the speaking of tongues. This was the biblical pattern. It wasn't the only thing. It was the initial thing. But in Acts chapter 2, they, all the believers are Acts 2, 4. All the ones that were there, whether it was 12 or 70 or 120, I, they all spoke in tongues as the Spirit filled them. Acts chapter 8, the Samaritan converts... After Philip was preaching to them later in that chapter, it says they also were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other tongues. Acts chapter 9, we see Paul, the story of Paul's conversion. He was saved. He was healed of the, the eye problem that he had in that process. And Ananias came and ministered to Paul that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his household um, Roman Gentile people now believing in, in the Lord, believing in the gospel, being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. We see the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13 operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, in a prayer meeting and setting, saying to them, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the work of ministry that I have for them. We see in Acts 19 the church uh, of Ephesus uh, that believed in Jesus, but they had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. In 19.6, Paul lays hands on them, and they begin to speak in other tongues and prophesy. And they became a, a, what we call a full gospel church at that time. So I, I wanted to speak on this subject, and I want it to be 
I don't want this just to be a history lesson. It's got to be more than a history lesson. We have to live it. And I I realize that by saying that, uh, there are probably many Christians in the world that wouldn't agree with me that this is for today. But I want to make a proclamation. This is for today. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Nothing has changed. You know, people say, what, you know, that was for then. Well, tell me what has changed. Nothing has changed except time has gone by and we wear different clothing and we wear shoes instead of sandals. I don't know. Things have changed, but the Bible hasn't changed. The only thing that's going to make this change is when we hear the trumpet when Jesus comes back. Because from, from, then, from then until then, we're in this same age called the age of grace. It's a church age. And we're in it. We're 2,000 years into it, but nothing has changed since the first day of Pentecost. So I, I want to, first of all, why do we need the Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you three things. But first of all, obviously God designed it to be this way. That's reason enough to pursue the Holy Spirit, if you ask me. Why would we want to be a church without the Holy Spirit or without this power when God had made it available to us? We would be neglecting a promise from God if that were the case. So we, we need the Holy Spirit because God designed it that way. He wants a people that will run after him and seek his face, right? And trust him for these miraculous manifestations of his presence. And why do you think, why do you think missionaries... You know, the Pentecostal church, not just the Assemblies of God, but the Pentecostal church, you know, worldwide, is on the forefront of missions work. Why is that? Because they have a supernatural power from God to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. It's part of who the Pentecostal church is. But when I think about the history of the church, there only was a Pentecostal church. (laughs) Every church was Pentecostal. In the early in the book of Acts, now we, through the ages things have changed. You can say things have somewhat been watered down in some ways, you know. But I want to give you three things to think about here. Why why we need to see the wind? The first reason is this, and I'm, I'm speaking in light of current events: racial and social ministry. We need the Holy Spirit to work and minister in the midst of racial issues and social problems. But we are called to go into all the world, go into all the nations and preach this gospel. And we're called to go into all the different types of worlds that exist out there. For instance, you may never know the world of a handicapped person unless you have a handicapped person in your family. It's a whole other world. You may not know the world of incarceration unless you know someone that went off to jail. It's a whole nother world. You may not know the world of a nursing home unless you have someone in a nursing home. But God has called us to go into all the world to be a witness for him. I think of the world of the afflicted, the world of the hurting, the world of the maligned, the world of the minority, the world of the impoverished or the weak or the sick. This week in particular, this month, this year, we have seen in our nation 
how damaged our society really is. And let me throw in a little bit extra right here. Because someone looks good and wears a nice suit or wears a uniform doesn't mean they're thinking right. It used to be like that. You know, someone looks the part, you think they give them the benefit of the doubt. We can no longer do that. Our society is so damaged, you can't even tell who's right and who's wrong by, just by general appearance or general presentation. But I think of things that are going on in our country today, racial violence, social discord, a health crisis, political upheaval, uh, a real disconnect in our culture. But then on the other hand, I think this is exactly a perfect time for the church of Jesus Christ to arise and do something about it. I wrote a Facebook post. I want to read it to you in case you missed it. The other day, so much so much going on in the USA. I, like many, are disgusted and saddened by the recent events in Minneapolis, New York City, uh, Louisville, and Glen County, Georgia. These events add to the growing list of unfair and racially charged happenings across our land. This has to stop. This is especially important to the Christian community in America. People of faith must stand up and be counted and heard. As a Christian, as a churchgoer, as a pastor, I go on record as condemning those acts of violence, hatred, prejudices, and unfairness. I pledge to do my part within the sphere of my influence to enlighten, challenge, and correct anyone I interact with. I beseech all to see the pain of others, to hear the sounds of hatred and prejudice, and touch the hearts of humanity. This is our mission. This is our mandate. This is our challenge. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. Amen. So, thank you. And I, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I do. My question is, how are we going to do that? But I, I look to the Bible for examples. I'm just going to talk a few minutes about this. I don't want to take all the time on this, but the references are on the screen. There's, there's one more I want to mention. But in Acts chapter 3, the issue was the Greek-speaking women were not getting their share of the distribution. They were murmuring. They were complaining. And one of the requirements to work with those people was that they must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I said this last week, but why would they have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do that? Because you're dealing with people. You're dealing with hurt feelings. You're dealing with prejudices. You're dealing with people feeling like I'm not good enough or you don't love me or you don't want me. And someone filled with the Spirit would be able to discern the situation and be able to love them through it and help them get through it. So we need, you know, from that, we need the Holy Spirit when we deal with racial issues or social issues. Whether it's a racial thing or a poverty thing, you know, many of us work downtown with common ground or somebody cares. There's a whole, talk about another world. That's a whole other world of poverty or homelessness. But we need the Spirit of the living God to help us navigate those waters. And dealing with racial issues and trying to understand You know, where people are coming from. In our natural mind, we can't do that. But with the Spirit of God, we can do that. In Acts chapter 8, we have have the story of uh, of Philip. Now, Philip was one of the seven men in Acts chapter 6 that was filled with the Holy Spirit, waiting on the tables for those people. But in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip now 
is in Samaria preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think, what, what in the world is Philip doing in Samaria preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? The Jews don't even like the Samaritans. They thought they were dirty, they were unclean, they were half Jewish and half Gentile, they had different food that they ate, different religious practices, different customs. What in the world is Philip doing preaching to those Samaritans? Well, really, he's following Jesus' example because in John 4, Jesus was ministering to the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus talked about the good Samaritan. So Jesus was trying to make a point that all people are worthy of the, of the gospel. So Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit, takes that upon himself to go to a different people group that most Jewish people at that time didn't love or respect. And he's proclaiming the things of God to them. And what happens? They hear it. They receive it. People are getting saved. People are getting healed of diseases. Demonic uh, forces or spirits are leaving people. There's great revival and great joy in that city. Acts 8, 17, then the people that got saved, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak in other tongues too. So I'm just saying, we need the Holy Spirit to minister to different types of people. Acts chapter 10, story of Cornelius and Peter. You know, Peter has to dream about the food, and the food is now clean. Don't, don't call what is, uh, what is uh, unclean that which I've cleaned. And Peter realized that the gospel is now available to the And when Cornelius' men come up to look for Peter, they say, Peter, Cornelius wants you at his house. I could picture Peter saying, you want me to go to a Gentile's house? I'll meet him in the park. That's as close as I get. No, you want me to go into his home? Those dirty Gentiles, they're worse than the Samaritans. Who knows what they eat or where they come from, what they believe. You want me to go to his home? Yeah. Peter says, all right, I'll go. And as he's proclaiming the gospel to these Gentiles, they're like opposites. The Holy Ghost falls on Cornelius and his household as he's speaking, and they begin to speak in tongues. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, obedient to the things of God, going into a a home of a Gentile, proclaiming the word of God, and the results are fantastic. Acts chapter 11. I preached the whole message on it last Sunday, but the story of Barnabas that was called upon by the elders to go up to Antioch to minister to that revival up there with the the Hellenist Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews and, and, and make sure everything's okay. And his requirement was that he also was filled with the Holy Spirit because there's no telling what he would get, get in touch with when he went up there, what he would come in contact with. Were there evil spirits? Were there bad things going on? Were there bad doctrine? Well, he went up there filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know the story if you listen to last Sunday's sermon. He saw the grace of God at work because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He encouraged them. He blessed them. He sanctioned what they were doing. And turn with me to Acts chapter 13 real quick. Verse number 1. Just Acts, Acts 13, 1. In the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers all gathered together. There was Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Manaean and Saul. And, and when you study those five people there, they're all different. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's a Roman, there's a black person, there's someone from Cyrene that's a different color, different culture. But the point is, they're all together worshiping God, seeking God, prophesying and teaching and proclaiming the word of God. How does that happen? There's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. 
that would unite people of different cultures, different races, different language groups, and put them all together for the common good of going forward with the gospel. So, yeah, so when we're dealing with racial issues, or we're, we're dealing with social problems, and we need to do good works. But you know what I, I found? There are many good people doing good works that aren't Christians. And that's fine. That's good. I mean, social workers and whatever, politicians, whatever. That, that's good, you know? But we, we bring the gospel into the mix as well. So we, we, we need the Holy Spirit as we deal with these racially charged issues or these social issues that deal with poverty or whatever, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us and to empower us to deal with it. So, okay, let me go to number two. Political influence. Now, Christians are called to be politically minded. Some people may disagree with me. But let me tell you something. One of the reasons why we're here today is because of the work of the Massachusetts Family Institute. A couple of weeks ago, they sent out a questionnaire to all these pastors. Remember, in the, in the fall, we had one of the leaders come and speak here, did an excellent job. And uh, the questionnaire had to do with, uh, would we be willing to sign a petition for the governor to allow churches in Massachusetts to be classified as essential? It bore witness with my heart, and I wasn't out there talking to the governor. But they were. So I signed the petition. Me and probably three or four hundred other pastors signed the petition. About a week later, guess what? Churches opened. So their influence, you know, made a difference. Let, let me put it in perspective. So we're allowed to have 40% of our total um, uh, seating capacity, right, 40%, which is not bad. I'll take it for right now, you know. As, as opposed to Connecticut and Rhode Island, they were still allowing 50 people, I think, until this week. Now they're allowing 100 people to come. What's well, that's good if you have a small church. But I know a lot of churches are seating 500 and 1,000 people, and they can only have 100 people in there. It's a fraction of what they want. But so in other words, we're blessed in a sense by having the governor do what he did to allow us to come here like this. But that was the work of the Family Massachusetts Institute. So... Yeah, so there are a couple of, a couple of scriptures here. In Acts chapter 5, great story. Peter and John going to the temple. They see a lame man. They, they touch him. They raise him. He jumps to life. He's healed. And all the Jewish leaders are critical. And the Jewish leaders were also political. They're criticizing, telling them to stop, and blah, 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 blah. And that one verse, Peter says to them, look, you tell me, what should we do? You want us to obey man or God? You tell us what we should do. Because he's trying to appeal to them. But another, they had the power to stand up and say, we're not going to bow down to what you're saying because it's ungodly. We will continue proclaiming the things of God. And they had some political influence there. Acts uh, 6 and 7, the story of Stephen, which I've been talking about lately. But he was, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit, you know. Proclaiming the things of God, Old Testament and New Testament. Totally politically incorrect doing what he was doing, but he did not care, and he did not care how he was, was being ridiculed and mocked. And when he, he was getting ready to be stoned to death, his eyes were lifted to heaven, he saw the glory of God, he was ready to go. And in that setting, there was one young man watching and consenting to his death by the name of Saul, who later became Paul. 
And I can't help but think that Stephen's example and, and influence touched Paul in such a way that he wondered, how could that guy do that? How could he have such faith in a God like that? I'm sure the Holy Spirit used that to convict Paul of his own sinfulness. Then we see, we see Paul in Acts 19, great story of the church of Ephesus. You know, they didn't, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit yet. Uh, Acts 19.6, he laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Great ministry going on there. People getting saved. People getting healed. Paul's handkerchief was healing people, if you know the story. They were burning their sorcery books. Great revival. The seven sons of Sceva story is in there. And all of a sudden, it says in the story that there was one silversmith named Demetrius who was now upset because none of the people were buying the little statue he would make for the... For the uh, the goddess Diana, they weren't buying it anymore because they were Christians. He was all upset. He caused a big ruckus in the city of Ephesus. And all the people were in an uproar. It says there was a riot in the street. I think it's verse 31 says that even the city clerk got involved and didn't know what all the commotion was. But here's Paul in the middle of all that upheaval. We see him in Acts 20, verse 1. Calm, collective, embracing the church, loving the people, didn't change courses at all whatsoever. He had the Holy Spirit in him, and he wasn't going to let the political system change his beliefs. We see Paul in different places, too. In Acts 21 through 25, when he was arrested, he had a lot of contact with political people. Festus, uh, Felix, King Agrippa... Uh, the Jerusalem, uh, the, the council of the uh, Jewish council. And, and he never bowed down to the pressure of the political system. He was trying to influence the political system. In fact, at one point, King Agrippa says, says to Paul, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul says, King Agrippa, not only you, but all that hear me today, I hope that they all become Christians. So, in, in this setting, who, who is going to stand up to our political system that we have today? Who's going to take a stand for, say, pro-life or sanctity of marriage or racial harmony? Who's going to take a stand against even gathering together in churches under the current health crisis that we're in? And I said it earlier, but uh, right now, I believe this is totally a health crisis. I don't believe this is some big conspiracy to shut down churches. If I thought that, I'd be the first one out there proclaiming the word of God publicly. I don't think that's the case. And until we have reason to believe that, I would suggest that we don't go down that road. But, but who will take a stand in a position, you know, not to let the political system change us, but we influence the political system. But in order to do that, what I'm saying is we need the Holy Spirit for that to happen. Okay, the last thing is this. We need the Holy Spirit. And can you see the wind? Can you see the Spirit of God regarding our proclamation of the gospel? Because ultimately, that's what we're all about. I know there's different ministries, different types of ministry going on. And it's all good. But ultimately, the bottom line is what we're doing. If we're feeding the poor, we feed the poor. That's good. But ultimately, we hope to build relationships with the poor so we can share the gospel with them. If we're counseling someone that's going through a crisis, we want to help them in that way. But ultimately, we want to have an opportunity to lead them to the Lord. You know, whatever we're doing, we're trying to, to give an opportunity for someone to hear the gospel message. But um, Acts 1.8 is so important. 
You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. We need the Holy Spirit. You know, we need the Holy Spirit to know how to present the gospel, how to say it in a given situation, how long to talk about it, you know, when to meet with people, uh, how to go about, you know, sharing the gospel. Sometimes we need to, first of all, build a friendship before we can share the gospel. But we need the Holy Spirit to direct our steps like that. When I think of Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. I realize, you know, not everyone's going to be standing behind a pulpit preaching the word of God. But everyone will be a witness in some way. I think about, you know, it's got to it's got to mean lifestyle. It's got to mean how you interact in your family. It must mean how you interact with your community because you represent me, says the Lord. It it must mean uh, how you conduct your ministries. Even you must have a power from God to live, to be a witness. I find it very difficult And I'm basically a a grace type of a person. I have a lot of leeway with everybody and with myself too. But when someone's smoking and drinking and drugging and gambling or swearing or cursing or lying or cheating, it's very hard to be a witness for God. Now, if someone's going through all those things, it will help you. But ultimately, there's got to be a time when we become a witness for God. We're empowered by God to put those things beside us, behind us, so that we could represent the God that delivered us. So I think being a witness for the Lord has to do, first of all, with personal holiness that no one even sees. It's just personal. But we could never be a public witness without a personal holiness. In other words, we have to take care of the foundation before we go out and be a public witness uh, for the Lord. So, yeah, we need, to, we need to see the wind as we proclaim the gospel. It's not just a... I, I love what Paul says on a couple of different occasions in his letters. He says, you know how we not only shared the gospel with you, but we shared our lives with you. It, it, it is the gospel, but it's our lives that we share with people. It's coming alongside of somebody that's hurting it's having a cup of coffee with someone that's going through a hard time. You know, it's relationship, but it's, it's all about proclaiming the gospel, living out the gospel in real life. Can you see the wind in that? Can you see the wind? Can you see the need to see the wind? So the great question is, okay, how do I get this infilling of the Holy Spirit? It's a great question. I have two answers for you. <laughs> Ask God, Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus said so clearly, if your father on earth, earth knows how to give you your, uh, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? And you know what I think too? Just the process of asking means something. I, I you know, I, I'm always asking for the Holy Spirit, Always. There's something about that dependency on God that God loves. He wants us to depend on him. If I've got something important to do, oh God, fill me with your spirit for this. Lord, I need you now. That's pleasing to God. 
And the second thing we see in Acts 19 where I say, ask people to pray for you. Lay hands on you. Paul laid hands on those people, and they received the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't say ask anybody. Ask someone that's filled with the Spirit. Usually, you know, church leaders or someone that you know personally. But, but ask God and ask people to pray for you. And I believe in that process, you might be waiting for that initial evidence for a while. You might. But I would put that on the back burner for right now. Just trust God. You're in the process. You're, you're in that realm of trusting and God honors that. Believe me, I know from experience, God honors that. Just keep asking, keep trusting, have people you know, pray over you, and be in the environment of Pentecost. You know what? I think we benefit just by being in the environment of Pentecost. Everyone in our church doesn't speak in tongues, by the way. But everyone senses the Holy Spirit when they come here, you have to admit. So there's a benefit of just being around the moving of the Holy Spirit. And as God wants to fill us and speak in tongues, he'll do it in his time, in his way. We can't make that happen. If I could make it happen, I would, but I can't do that. That's God's business. Our business is to ask him and to ask others to pray for us and to trust and wait and see. In the meantime, we're doing as best we can with what we have. So I'll end with this, that... Can you see the wind in our, in our dealings with racial and social ministry? We need the Holy Spirit with that issue. Listen, even if you're putting stuff on Facebook, you need the Holy Spirit to direct your words. Because your words could, even on Facebook, see a lot of stuff on Facebook. Pray for the whole, say, Lord, fill me with your spirit as I write this post. I want it to be good. I want it to be, you know, I want it to be uh, positive. And let your words come out under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit regarding political issues. Everyone's got an opinion about our president, about our governor, about who's doing this and who's doing that. Okay. But we need the Holy Spirit to really put our minds at peace and and in order as to how we deal with these issues. And we certainly need the Holy Spirit when we're proclaiming the gospel how to say it, when to say it, what analogies to use, what scriptures to look at, how to look when we're doing it, you know, how to, how to, how to act when we're presenting the gospel. And then the last scripture is Acts 2.42. And all of that, after all of that, and the, uh, the first day, that first revival, they continued. And then next week, they continued. And next month, they continued. Next year, they continued. Ten years later, they were continuing. hundred years later, they were continuing. A thousand years later, they were continuing. Two thousand years later, we're still continuing. And we will continue until Jesus comes back. But we need the wind of the Spirit to lead us and direct us. Amen? All right. Let's stand together. I'm going to close out in prayer, and I'm going to pray a prayer that the Lord would fill us with his spirit and empower this local assembly with his spirit that we can make a great difference in our community where we live. Every head bowed for just a moment. I just want to ask a question. If there's anybody here today that feels like, you know what? I, I need to receive Christ in my life. He's been over on the side. I want to put him in the center of my life. And I just feel like I need to do that before I do anything else. Anyone like that? I need to receive Jesus today. Or I need to put Jesus back in the center of my life today. All right. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for Pentecost Sunday. Lord, I pray that it's not just a one-day thing that we think about Pentecost. Lord, let us, let us be Pentecostal every day.
Let every Sunday be a celebration of your spirit alive and well and working within us. But Lord, I want to pray along these three lines that we as a church family, we as believers in Jesus Christ, believers in the Holy Spirit, that we would be anointed by the wind of your spirit to make a difference in the racial areas that we're involved with and the social areas that we're involved with. Lord, let us have your spirit. Let us have the mind of Christ as we minister in those areas. As we think about political issues and problems and, and, and demands that are coming down from uh, laws and uh, uh, different decisions that are being made that affect us, let us have the heart and mind of Christ. Let us be led by your spirit as we navigate those waters. And Lord, as we proclaim your gospel, which ultimately that's what we want to do, We pray for your wisdom, your guidance, your Holy Spirit to direct our steps as we as we present the gospel of Christ. And Lord, we pray as in Genesis 1, 2, that the Holy Spirit would right now begin to hover around our communities, around our homes, around our families, around around our unsaved loved ones, that your Holy Spirit would begin to move and prepare and create an environment where when we speak the word of God or say things about you, that many people that we know will come to know you and serve you as their Lord and Savior. So, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to meet together as a church. Thank you for the live stream that's going forward. We just pray your continued blessing upon us all. We give you thanks and praise for it now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.